back in 1985, I started a PhD program uh, in Hebrew at Dallas Seminary. But as you know, I exited that when my son had special needs because uh, I couldn't do a four-year PhD in Hebrew and manage a special needs child. Uh, and so I, uh, my lifelong dream, I, I put it on the shelf and walked away um, from that and um, became a pastor, which was not my plan. Uh, and so when I left, I had passed all the the placement opportunities for a student. Uh, and um, so I began to apply at churches and nobody would hire me because they said, what do we do with someone like you on our staff uh, as, a, as, a, as like a linguist? And, and so I took a job, a friend of mine uh, uh, managed a computer company uh, that supplied uh, giant uh, box stores for uh, computer products and paper products. It was like a uh, huge warehouse, like 100,000 square feet. And so I took a job there because I, I, I had, you know, a child and I needed a job and I uh, wasn't working on the doctorate anymore. And so I took a job till I could find a church. Well, that took a year uh, and I worked in that warehouse driving a forklift uh, and loading trucks, uh, UPS trucks and different trucks with paper pallets that we had to assemble. And each pallet weighed about 2,500 pounds and we would put like 22 pallets per truck. And I did that all day. And we were the guys that loaded the pallets with the paper. So it was a very physically demanding job. I realized it wasn't God's will for my life long term. <laughs> I was 27 at the time. Uh, and uh, I have great respect for people that do those kinds of jobs. I, I absolutely do because I understand what it takes. But anyway, uh, when I worked there, I learned a lot of stuff about myself and about life because uh, I had a lot of time to think as I worked around the warehouse picking orders all day. Uh, I had a, a boss, his name was John Drake. Uh, and John, um, would, would occasionally leave the, leave the building uh, and go do, do things. And so he left all of us, the staff there, uh, to run things while he was gone. So we had multiple truckers coming in with multiple truck bays. It's a very busy place. And then John would leave. That was kind of cool because when John would leave, then you got to understand, like, who really wanted to work and who wanted to kind of float. And so when John would leave, the, the level of productivity would kind of... Uh, you know, because John wasn't there in his office, which had a huge glass window that watched the floor. Uh, so when he wasn't there, like God watching you, uh, <laughs> people kind of would drift. Um, now, what I thought was interesting is he never said, I'm leaving at 1, I'll be back at 2.30. He never said when he's coming back. See the theological motif of this? He ne <laughs> yeah, I thought about it all the time. He's like God in that little glass booth. Um, he never told you when he's coming back. So the fact that he didn't tell you that he's coming back kept you on your toes because at any moment, the, bo the boss could show up, and you better be producing some pallets. You know what I mean? Now, just make the simple jump over to your spiritual life, right? Who, who's, uh, who's John in the analogy? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, G Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jesus is w watching what you're doing, uh, and you're going to have to give account for him one to one day, how, how well you produced. Uh, and how are you going to do? I mean, are you, are you ready? And he didn't tell you when he's coming back, right? Has he called you and left you a personal message, emailed you, uh, instant message, Instagram? No. You have no idea when he's coming back. But we know, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, uh, that the trumpet will sound one day. Uh, he will descend from heaven to collect up his church before the tribulation. And that coming is imminent, meaning it can happen at any time and nothing needs to happen for it to occur. So in light of that, uh, Paul has been equipping us in chapter 5 on how to live in light of that. So what you should you be doing? You know, so in the warehouse, it was like, what should we be doing while John's not here? 
getting my orders, getting my pallets, getting my forklift, loading my orders, you know, packing them up, shrink wrapping them, putting them in trucks. I mean, that's what we should be doing. Uh, when you apply that spiritually, uh, Paul says, look at it spiritually. What should you be doing? So he is, uh, this whole chapter five is, is full of all kinds of commands. Uh, we've looked at uh, um, our duty uh, that we have, first of all, has, uh, there's three sections he applies it to. Uh, you have a duty toward leaders, which is really simple. Just follow your spiritual leadership at your church, follow. Unless they're teaching false doctrine or morally compromised lives, follow leadership. Number two, uh, duty toward other followers. Now, uh, this could be, as you say, this is all the things that he puts in there, that these commands for your duty toward followers refer to whether the person is a follower of the Lord or a follower of Lucifer. I mean, non-Christian or Christian, you are to, to show Christian virtues to them regardless of who they are. So, High Christian virtues shouldn't just be shown toward Christians. It should be shown toward non-Christians as well. And he tells you what all of those are. And he will hold you accountable when he sees you, whether you did them or not. Then he gets into verses 16 to 22. And we're reviewing here in case you're new. Are you all new? No. Uh, so for, why are we reviewing then? Because brain cells die daily. Okay. So uh, I went to a Frampton concert the other night. Yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, parked, you know, in a huge parking lot and, and then took pictures of where we parked. Smart. That's what baby boomers do when they park their car. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to my sermon. That was just extra. Um, and if you don't know who Peter Frampton is, I'll pray for you. So, um, so your duty toward the Lord is composed of multiple commands. Number one, verse 16, having a joyous inner attitude, an inner attitude that's full of joy because you know God's in control. Uh, verse 17, uh, have a hab habit of praying. Not that you pray 24-7, but you have a habit of praying. Verse 18, you're thankful in life, whether you're in a valley of life or in a mountaintop. Either way, you're thankful because God's sovereignly in control. Verse 19, you live so as not to stifle the Holy Spirit's movement in your life or in your church. And then verse 20, uh, you support the revealed word of God. That's what you do, what, what is said. So we want to look at the, the additional commands, and these are the final commands for this passage. Um, there's three more. So there's eight total in your responsibility toward the Lord. So rule number six, or imperative number six, test for truth uh, is that, that first one. And then we'll get to the, the next one is hold, hold to that which is holy. So we want to first look at the one where he says, prove all things. Uh, and I'm going to present this to you in a, in a multiple translation so you can see a slight difference uh, between them. Okay, you see that? So you have the King James KGV, the NAS New American Standard, and the NIV. Uh, is, is that translation. So uh, do you notice a little bit of difference between them? The first one, prove all things. Hold fast to that, which is good. The next one starts with an adversative, but. See the but? Adversative. Uh, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that, which is good. And then the NIV picks up the word but as well. So uh, we want to analyze that because that, the presence of that adversative uh, is, is important, whether it's there or not. Um, so um, th that particular little word, there's two adversatives in Greek. Allah is a, is a, is a, is a radical adversative. Uh, there's a milder one. This, it, it's called de, de like uh, D-E, de. Uh, this is that one. And there's a... There's a uh, there's ancient document evidence that supports that it should be in the text. Then there's also ancient document evidence that support it not being in the text. It's your first Sunday here, and you're thinking, they're talking about what? <laughs> they realize what time it is in the morning? Yeah, yeah, God's up, so you need to be awake. So um, 
This is important because of what Paul has just said, uh, to not despise prophetic utterances. Uh, and so if you supply the word uh, but there, then this command to examine all things is a grammatical linkage to what he just said in the previous verse. What's that mean? Don't despise a prophetic utterance, but examine them. You follow me? So if, that partic- if that's there, and I'll, I'll set to, submit it to you this way, because our church is a, is, a, is, a, what do you call it? is a community church. So as a community church, we have people here from different theological backgrounds. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so our church has a, a non-cessationist in it and cessationist in it. So a non-cessationist uh, are those people who believe that the gift, gift of prophecy is still viable for today because they're here. Uh, and then we have cessationists like myself that, that don't believe the prophetic gift is viable for today, as I talked about last week. But if you're a, I'm, I'm, I'm talking cessationist or non-cessationist regarding spiritual gifts. So uh, the, the particular uh, view of uh, if you are a uh, non-cessationist, uh, what Paul is saying to you then in that text, because you're going to opt for choosing de, but as, as the better translation, because it fits grammatically with, uh, you think, according to the command to not de- despise a prophetic utterance, right? What should you do with a prophetic utterance? If somebody set up in the church and gave a word of prophecy, uh, uh, you would then need to examine it. Examine it. So how do you examine a prophetic utterance? So the prophetic utterance, are you still with me? So prophetic utterance uh, is uh, two things, as I told you last week. A a prophet, to be a prophet of God, you had to be able to foretell and foretell. You had to be able to foretell with great power when you preached. Like a a Jeremiah, like an Isaiah, like an Elijah. You had to preach with great power, truth. Or what you prophesied according to Deuteronomy 18, according to Moses, it had to come true. It had to be specific and it had to come true. Those are your two tests. Um, most likely what was occurring in these churches, uh, because of prophecy uh, that is foretelling the future, would take many, many years to see whether it came to fruition or not, whether it was true or not, whether the person was a true or false prophet. What's probably going on in here are foretelling words of prophecy from a person who spoke with great power and conviction from the Word of God. Then Paul says, if you study 1 Corinthians 14, that's for the edification of the body. It would be hard to be edified as a body for something that's not going to happen for 10 to 15 years. You follow me? So logically reasoning, he's probably referring to um, uh, foretelling here when he, he speaks pri- primarily. Uh, but in order for the thing to be examined to whether it's true or false, you need to compare Deuteronomy 18. Did the prophecy come true? No. Then the person's a false prophet. Number, number, and then the second thing was, d- does it co-assign with biblical truth? That's a, non, that's a non-cessationist position. Um, now, the cessationist position, which is a position that I hold, uh, believes that the word of prophecy, the ability to foretell and foretell, has been bifurcated. So, foretelling, to be, be able to preach with great power and conviction, truth, I think is still viable for today because you have speakers who do that. Um, foretelling, I don't think, is viable for today because, as I said in Ephesians 2.20, Paul said the church was founded upon the uh, apostles first and prophets uh, in, in that order. And how many times, as I said last week, do you lay a foundation? One time. Uh, and so the other thing is, since the biblical canon is closed, which it wasn't at this time, because people will say, well, they had the word of God. Do you know how many scrolls that would be? Could you imagine carrying the scrolls around of all 66 books if it were possible? I mean, no. So they had little pieces of the word of God, so they needed a prophet or prophetess to speak the word of God in those churches, 
You follow? Once the canon was closed, and the canon is just a Latin word meaning measurement. So they had five levels of measurement. And I have a whole series online, a, an eight-hour series, I think it is, on canonicity, how we got the Bible, if you want to study it in detail. So you still with me? Okay, so he, we're, still, we're still working on that adversative, but. Okay? Uh, and we'll, we're moving along. So uh, if you're a non-cessationist, then, then you need to examine what you hear. But that, that principle still applies to a person who believes that that gift is through, it's finished, because God closed the, closed the canon. We don't need the prophetic uh, word anymore in a church service, because we got the prophetic word in the Bible. That, that's the word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, uh, Peter uh, flat out says that Scripture is prophetic. I mean, that's what it is. So the Scripture is prophetic because it comes from the mouth of God himself. So either way that you look at it, where Christian brothers and sisters, I think, can get together, cessationist or non-cessationist, is we're really both looking for ardently for the, number one, what did God say, and is this truth? You follow me? Those are very important because our world is full of that which is not true. So I don't take the viewpoint as, the, as that particular conjunction, adversative, is there. Because all the other commands that are listed here are all standalone uh, imperatives. Why all of a sudden would he break his rhythm with something that's out of his, his imperatival rhythm? Uh, so I don't take it. And, and the other thing is he, he says, hold, uh, prove all things. He's not talking about just prophetic utterance. He's talking about more than that. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert, a Greek scholar, says this about that particular uh, mot the theme. He says that the command is itself, it is itself general, extends the principle to all things that affect their religious life, a Christian. The duty to test prophesying is thus brought under the universal rule that Christians must practice the testings of all things that ask for their acceptance as being from God. Ignorant and untested acceptance of all that claims to be from God is not demanded in any area of the Christian life. Translated, the scholar is barely telling you that the, the, the command to examine things that you hear and see in a given, given day is perpetual. It's a present tense command. You should constantly be asking yourself, is that true or is that not true? Now, our culture, that's a whole other study. Um, they're into rhetoric. They think screaming their little signs and slogans is an argument. It's not. I mean, show me your argument, and it's logically cohesive, and it follows the rules of, 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 of grammar and logic, et cetera. Show me the argument and the evidence, but they don't want to listen to that, so they just yell and scream, but you're for reason, they're for rhetoric, so what do you do? You abandon reason because they're just for rhetoric? No, you hold on to truth. You examine that which is truth. Um, now, I want to point out another thing in this verse. I want to show you this, this next slide. Sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I told you I was going to do this for several Sundays. So, okay. Uh, okay, so that's, that's the verse in Greek. Now, I'm going to read it to you in Greek, and then you tell me what's, like, unusual about that, okay? So, so, so we're going to start. In Greek, you read like English, so it's easy this way. Hebrew, you read the other direction. So, so the first word is panta, dokimatsate. Uh, that means to test all things. Tokalon, uh, it means the good. And then katexate. So, panta dokimatsate to kalon katexate. Have you had breakfast yet? <laughs> uh, what in the world is this church talking about? Well, we're talking about the inspired word of God. Down to the choosing of endings for imperatible words. So that uh, th this little ending here, this word this here and that ending, that means it's an imperative. They sound similar, don't they? Dokimatsate and Katexate. Sound similar? 
Now, you can't see this in the English text, and you might be wondering, why in the world are we talking about this? Because I think it's interesting. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is called, because uh, preaching is about teaching from my perspective, teaching you how to think. So this is called paranomasia. This is a figure of speech. Uh, have you heard about paranomasia? Okay, now you have, all right? So uh, E.W. Bullinger's book, Figures of Speech that are used in the Bible, it's about 1,500 pages, uh, classifies the figures of speech in the Bible. So like synecdoche, metaphor, simile, you know, all that stuff. Here's what he says. Two things are emphasized, uh, and our attention is called to this emphasis by the similarity of sound. Otherwise, we might read the page, pass by it unnoticed, but the eye or the ear is at once attracted to the similarity of the sound or the appearance, and our attention is thus drawn to a solemn or important statement, which would otherwise have been unheeded. Sometimes a great, uh, a great uh, lesson is taught by using this figure. No kidding. Why would they take the time to make the words sound similar? Remember, they don't have the Bible in their hand. So when you leave that church service, what am I supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah, it was easy to memorize. Ponte doki matete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to test all things. Yeah, on the other side of that is takolon, anything that's good, I should katexate. I should hold on to that. So they put it in here so you can memorize it. Let me explain it further. God wants you to know this. It's what our culture has forgotten. You're supposed to test what you hear, that it's true or false. And if it's good, you hold on to it. We'll get to that in just a minute. We're still moving in the first clause of the verse. You follow? This is why it takes like two years to go through First Thessalonians. But uh, moving on. So it's a present tense command means it's perpetual testing. And the word he uses, dokimatsu, means to test something whether it's uh, what it says it, says it is. Uh, so this is a word that was used to test whether it, something was gold, whether it was truly gold. Right? Or a diamond, or is it cubic zirconium? Is it real? Blah, 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 et cetera. Do you watch Pawn Stars? It's a spiritual experience. Um, I like, I like Pawn Stars. Uh, it's like, I, I always, it's like amaze me the stuff they bring in, you know, uh, for people to, you know, they want to pawn and, and sell. Um, so I mean, here, here's some things I find interesting. Like uh, uh, Mary Ford. You, do you know who Mary Ford is? Okay, Mary Ford was the wife of Les Paul. Do you know who Les Paul is? Yeah, yeah, the guy that made Primo guitars. Uh, so they sold her her guitar. Uh, she had a 1961 Gibson SG Les Paul guitar, her husband's guitar, but he you know, made it for her, gave it to her. Uh, and so they brought that into the pawn shop and said, hey, I've got Les Paul's wife's guitar. Mm-hmm, sure you do. Right, true or false? Because if you're running a pawn shop, you don't want to get ripped off with stuff that's fake and phony, right? And so, they had, so when you want to determine whether that's really Mary Ford's guitar or not, you bring in an expert. So they did. And they verified, yes, that is her guitar, sold for $150,000. Uh, another guy walked in with uh, Jimi Hendrix's guitar. You know Jimi Hendrix, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, I used to listen to Jimi all the time back in the 60s. Uh, yeah, so somebody walked in with his guitar uh, his, his Les Paul custom guitar, uh, and it's like, this is from Jimi Hendrix, and it's signed by Jimi, sure, right, yeah, well, they brought in a professional, analyzed the guitar, yes, it's Jimmy's guitar, sold for a million dollars, wouldn't you like to have that guitar, yeah, so, so what they do on Pawn Stars is, is, is small pickings to what you should be doing as a Christian regarding truth, do you follow, yeah, so that's why I say anything that you, you encounter in life, you can flip it around to a spiritual experience, whether you're driving a forklift, 
or watching Pawn Stars. It's, it's teaching you, you should evaluate. So, 1 John chapter 4, beloved, believe not every spirit. Why? Uh, but we'll test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Uh, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. People who teach contrary to the word of God, they're all over the place. Uh, so he says, test the spirits. So he's not talking about a human per se, uh, because the Greek word here, uh, pneumatai, from which we get the word uh, pneumatic, like a pneumatic tool, like an air tool. Uh, believe not in your spirit. Pneumatai, the word for spirits, is the word that is used uh, in the New Testament, like in Mark 1.23 and Mark chapter 5, verse 2. It's used of demonic beings. So when he says, test the spirits, if I am listening to a professor in class teach things that are contrary to the first principles of logic, and like, uh, that, that just defied the law of the excluded middle. How is that possible that you have two things that are diametrically opposed and they're, they're both true at the same time and there's no leak? Excuse me, question. Um, where's he getting that garbage from? Whatever demonic being is behind him, giving him that intricate stuff. He says, you need to test what you hear to see whether it is true or not. Same word here, dokimatsatai, that uh, Paul uses. How do you go about testing? That's the thing. How do you test? Um, uh, Hebert, the Greek scholar, says, mere intellectual acumen is unable to make this test because it's spiritual. He says, now the natural man, according to 1 Corinthians 2.14, uh, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, and he cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. So there's a lot of stuff. It's like you could have an IQ of 185 and not understand spiritual things because you don't know Christ. But once you know Christ and you have the spirit, you have the mind. Uh, he gives you his mind to understand the spirit's there to teach you God's mind. He helps you to evaluate truth from error. Um, so when the spirit resides in you, you're well on your way. John 16, Jesus said, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you as a Christian into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. I don't know about you, but I mean, I rely on him. Lord, there's something, there's something off with that. Uh, what is off with that? Te teach me. Show me what is off with that. Give me an understanding spirit. And the Lord will teach you because he is there to guide you to truth. So internally, he's there to help you examine that which you hear, truth or error, to examine it, to give you insight. So... Well, like, in what kind of ways? Is it all right to get a divorce if you are not compatible? I mean, you know, Lord, I married this girl. Seemed like the dream of my life. You know, it's been three weeks. Whoa. <laughs> I just don't think this is going to work out for me. I think, you know, I, I met somebody else at work. Way nicer. It likes laughs at my jokes, you know. And uh, it's, it's okay for me to get divorced. Uh, go to the Spirit. If you're a Christian, ask, ask the Lord, uh, show me. Uh, sh uh, truth or error that I can, I, I, I'm, my friends are telling me it's okay. Um, smoking marijuana. Uh, it's permissible because it's legal in my part of the country, my, my state, my city, my whatever. You know, everybody, it's legal. Yeah. When I got out of the car uh, at the MGM to go here, do you feel like I do? Yeah. <laughs> I no sooner got out of the car, and as a former federal agent's son, I know what marijuana is. It's the first thing that hits me is a cloud of pot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I told my baby boomer friends, it's weird that the, the, the marijuana today does not smell like the marijuana from the 60s. Have you noticed? I mean, hopefully not. But <laughs> Sorry. It, 
it has a different odor because they put different stuff in it. And it's, it really, both stink. You know what I'm saying? Do you understand? We can agree at that. Okay. So, so, so if they legalize it, is it okay for me to buy some? I mean, n- thank you. One person said no. Okay. Um, I had a high school student tell me this. Well, it's okay for me uh, to like someone of the same sex uh, because the Supreme Court validates it. So just deal with it, pastor. That's what he told me in his living room. Yeah, really? Uh, And I said, well, those are men making decisions. Uh, How do you know that they're right? Because what they're saying contradicts the word of God. What is truth? What is is error? Um, I've listed, I don't know, maybe 15 things to think about how to apply truth and error because it's all throughout our our world. Uh, Is it okay for me to date a non-Christian? I mean, hey, we love each other. Well, what does the word of God say? Don't be... Unequally yoked. I mean, don't start out that way. No, don't do, don't do that. Um, but we, we love each other. Love covers up. No, no, don't, don't do that. Um, et cetera. Uh, I, I, for my doctoral studies, I had to read the Book of Mormon. Well, I had to read all their writings. Uh, Book of Mormon chapter, uh, well, the Book of Ether, chapter 8, verse 26, says this. Wherefore, I, Moroni, uh, uh, am commanded to write these things, that evil may be done away, and that the time may come that Satan may have no power upon the hearts of the children of men, but that they may be persuaded, people, to do good continually, that they may come to the fountain of all righteousness and be saved. Hmm. Mm, no. <laughs> so as I'm reading through the Book of Mormon for this doctor class uh, on that uh, cult, uh, I'm reading through it going, oh, works, 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 work, work, work salvation everywhere. Believe in God, work salvation. Error, error. So you should be paying attention to what you hear, whether it's true or, uh, true or false, and your ultimate guide is the spirit who lives in you. It coincides with the word of God, which means you should be reading the Bible. Amen. All right? You should also be reading uh, systematic theologies. And I'm not saying that to be funny. You absolutely should constantly be reading systematic theologies that take all major doctrines in a systemized format to teach you how to understand about the doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology, the doctrine of salvation, soteriology. I mean, the doctrine of the end times, eschatology. I mean, you should be studying those all the time. Uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, has, uh, my former mentor, has a systematic theology. It's four volumes. It's quite large. It's excellent. It's excellent. I read it all the time. Charles Ryrie, uh, Basic Theology, one volume, primo. Grudem's uh, Bible Doctrine, primo. So you should be reading books um, to how to think as well. So reading the Bible, reading great systematic theologies, and then reading books by great Christian thinkers. Like uh, Jay Budzizewski, he's a professor at University of uh, Texas in Austin, wrote this book called True Tolerance. This is excellent. Excellent because our culture took the word tolerance and hijacked it and gave it a different connotation over here on their wicked tree. And now their version of tolerance is not the true version of tolerance. And if you want to understand tolerance, let the professor educate you so that you can take on that which is false when you hear it. Because those people who are for the false version of tolerance are the most intolerant people on the planet. But anyway, moving on, it's too convicting. So what are you reading to find out which is true and false? Uh, Rule number seven, uh, hold on to that which is holy. Examine everything carefully. Hold on to that which is good. Pretty simple. Uh, you know I like grips, gripping. You know this about me? Yeah, this is my thing. So here's what I use. These things, these are Captain's of Crush. These are professional grade weightlifting grips. 
They're awesome. I, I do them all the time. Whenever I drive my car, that's what I do. If you see me at a stoplight, that's what I do. Uh, if I ever get in a car wreck, I'll probably have one of these in my hand. This is what I do. Um, let's see. This is a, this is a number one. Now, 75% of men can't close a level one. 75%. So uh, if you close a, a level three, they classify you as the strongest grip in the world. I mean, they give you a test card to put between here that if you can close it on, and they see it with a judge, you're the strongest grip in the world. So I'm working on that one, okay? <laughs> no, I really am. I mean, so <laughs> it's insane, but, but it's awesome. And it's spiritual. <laughs> because the tenacity that I have for working on my physical grip, which I've done since I was in high school and played sports, um, doesn't even compare to the grip that I want to have, spiritually speaking, to hold on to truth. See, I study the Word of God to strengthen my spiritual grip. So when I hear that which is truth versus that which is error, and I investigate it and I study it, I hang on to the truth with a death grip. That's what this word is. Hold fast to that which is good. That's like you can close a level three, which only a handful of people in the world have actually been able to do. Um, when you, because it's almost 300 PSI, it's, it's, it's insane. But he, he says, when it comes to truth and you find it, hold on to that and don't let it go. Is sex and gender, is it, is it fluid or is it fixed? Well, once I understand that it's fixed and it's not fluid, I hang on to the truth as opposed to that which is false. You follow? Um, equity and equality. Is that the way the world works? Is that the way they select football teams? Uh, probably not. But when I understand what that really means, because the scriptures talk about it, when I understand what that means, uh, then I hold on that which is true. And I reject that which is false. Uh, no matter what. Are you holding on to what, that which is true? Our culture rejects truth outright. Because they've, been, they've, they've adapted a relativistic view of truth. Truth is relative. It's not absolute. Problem with that is you just assumed my position. When you say truth is relative, there is no absolute truth. You just took an absolute position. Therefore, you verified my position that there is absolute truth. Anyway, moving on. What are you reading? What's your source of truth? And what are you holding on to? Because you might be holding on to some ideology, some worldviews that are not truth. What should you do? Let go of them. Let go of them. Let go of the faults and take hold of the truth. Last thing that he says is steer clear of sin. <laughs> I was thinking of just making a whole sermon on this, but it's pretty simple. Verse 22, what should you do? It's pretty simple. Abstain from what? Every form of evil. Every form of evil. Present tense command means you should constantly be doing this. And because God is holy, we are called to be holy. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 16. He's holy, therefore we should live a holy life. Um, I have to determine what is true behavior versus false behavior. And that which is evil, I, I, I need to abstain from it. Now, the word abstain in the Greek text uh, is a measurement term. It was used of keeping your distance from something. Like staying a long way from something. Like, there's just no way I'm going there with you. I'm not going to be there with you. I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to take that. I'm, except you, you're a long ways from it. Uh, because according to Proverbs chapter 1, if you hang around with questionable people doing questionable things, you're going to wind up being tempted to do whatever it is they're doing. And so he says, abstain from every form of evil. Evil is very crafty, isn't it? 
So let's go back to what I said to earlier. Should I be at a Frampton concert? <laughs> it's a theological question. Um, yeah. Once I got through the parking lot experience and the smoke screen, you know, uh, and got in there, it was, it, was, it was pleasurable. Baby boomers sit in their seats during the concert. There's no wild, crazy stuff going on. Uh, they don't move around anymore. They're too old. Uh, he came out with a cane, sat down, played his guitar for two and a half hours. Felt sorry for him. He has some kind of muscle disease. But if you closed your eyes, you could still hear Frampton. It's totally awesome. Um, anyway, but, you know, but, but it helps you build a bridge to people because I'm part of my culture. I understand my culture. But, but if I'm, I'm being tempted to be somewhere with someone that's like evil, I'm not going there. You're not going to find me there. Uh, flee evil. Is there anything in your life that you need to run from? Remember Samson? He had a problem. What was his problem? You're so quiet now. <laughs> women. Women were his problem, right? Yeah. Not that women are bad. He just liked multiple women. He got a girlfriend to kill all girlfriends, right? Her name? Delilah. Yeah. And what no other girlfriend could get him to do, she got him to do. Because his source of strength came from his hair. Hence, you should grow your hair out. You'll be stronger. But... He had long hair. He's a Nazarite. God empowers him. That's the source of his power. She gets him to compromise because he's, he's associated himself with someone he should have never been with because she was evil. You got to stop and ask yourself, am I dating somebody right now that's evil, sinful, getting me to do sinful things, think sinful things, compromise my faith? Because that's exactly what she did. What evil do you need to run from? Is there any kind of form of evil that you're, you're doing? Like case in point. Should you go to the Barbie movie? Why are you laughing? No, I'm, I mean, I'm asking a serious question. I mean, it, it comes down to that level, doesn't it? In case you're wondering, what's he talking about? Like that, I'm, sustained, I'm supposed to examine truth and error, and then I'm supposed to abstain from that which is evil. And so if I study something and it has a form of evil about it, it's teaching evil, then I'm not there. I mean, I've walked out of movies before. And only, I walked out of one movie with Liz and Nathan one time, uh, and a lady from our church was a couple rows back with her son, and when we got up to walk out, then she got up and walked out, and we got into the waiting room, and she said, I was just waiting to see what you were going to do. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Anyway, the supervisor is coming. Are you ready to give account? God, there's stuff I need to turn loose of. I've been holding on to that's evil. I need to grab with that which is holy. I'm not in the word like I should, so I can't tell the truth from error. You know, you, know, you know, God, help me. And help me see the form of evil and, and run from it like Joseph did. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. God, these are, these are great commands. Uh, they are easy to read. They are hard to do. Uh, give us the strength, the tenacity, the courage to do them. Uh, and uh, implement them in our lives and not so much worry about our neighbor, but worry about our own life first uh, and, and to get our house in order. And if somebody doesn't know you today, uh, may they come to you in faith and say, Lord, save me so the spirit of God can reside in them and they can move toward truth away from error. Uh, bless us. Uh, even in the areas where we struggle, give us strength to gain victory uh, through the power of the spirit of God. In Christ's name, amen.